Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. I'm Josh Evans. On today's episode of the Content Clearinghouse, I talk about the multiple forest fires raging in Colorado and the reason my wife and I left our semi-permanent state park situation to hit the road. Spoiler alert, I don't like breathing smoke and I don't want to die a fiery death. After that, Josh and I get two one-way tickets to the death road in Bolivia. So grab your one wheels and get your AI teammates ready to go. By the way, if Josh sounds like he's hopped up on cocaine, I assure you he's not. He's just really excited about this video game. So let's get out of the smoke and into Ghost Recon <laughs> Wildlands. <laughs> <laughs> Movies, shows, and video games Podcast books and their acclaims Let their favorite content become yours It's the Content Clearing House Content Clearing House And it starts right now Yeah, Brett I can see you, this is amazing This is two weeks in a row I can see you while we're talking I know it's pretty great to see your face. I can't believe you got a one wheel on the way. Oh, man. Yeah, by the time this show comes out, I will have had a one wheel for two, three days now. I might already have a broken wrist. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say, by the time this episode comes out, I will be in the hospital for my <laughs> yeah, first exactly. one wheel accident. So you said you had some one wheel crazy mounts of shame or something? Yeah. I, I don't need to get into it too much, but uh, I guess there's this thing called a. Uh, thanks for bringing this up. Without hey, you any, got it, buddy. <laughs> without any warning on the podcast. Yeah, it's basically like you're getting on the one wheel and the motor doesn't disengage or it does not engage, and you just kind of fall over the end. And uh, it actually kind of freaked me out when this happened uh, in Omaha recently. Uh, great town, amazingly enough. Nebraska doesn't totally suck, but great one wheeling. I, uh, you know, I just like fell right over the end of it and onto my hands, and it was, of course, the time that I didn't uh, wear my wrist guards and hand protectors. Uh, I'm fine, but I was just like, I always need to wear that equipment, my helmet and my wrist guards. Um, but I guess it has a lot to do with the shoes that you wear. So skate shoes are where it's at. You got to make sure those those sensors on the foot pad know that you're there, which the one that you got, the one wheel pint has a fancy light bar on top. I got to ride the, the pint recently and it's very nice. Which one did you like better? Um, I would have to ride ride it around a little bit more. I think they're just different. I think the XR is probably better for the longer rides that I've been doing, but um, I don't know, man. I think if anybody was interested in doing tricks, like the stuff that you were already trying to attempt on the XR last time we recorded and saw each other in person, the Pine might be better. It's lighter. It's more maneuverable. And, uh, you know, I only rode the Pine on grass at the drop zone recently and, and, Minneapolis. I've been to a lot of places recently. We're going to have to touch base on that. But um, I felt more stable on the XR on the grass. I'll tell you that much for sure. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I might really have a broken wrist by the time this comes it, out. That might not have been a joke. <laughs> might have had my own mount of shame. Yeah. Especially since I don't have any experience on this thing. Well, that's how it starts for everybody. But I think I just hit like 80 miles recently. It's so much oh, fun, damn, dude. dude. It's so much fun. Yeah, I'm really stoked. I'm stoked for well, you. Uh, yeah, let's... Where have you been, man? You've been traveling for like the last two weeks, right? Yes. So right now I am in Indiana at a place called Lake Michigan. It's next to that big old lake. Uh, not Lake Superior. Lake What's Erie? it called? Nope. Uh... Lake Erie. No. <laughs> Is it Lake Michigan? I think that's what it's called. I don't think there's. I'm in. Oh, I'm in. I'm in Michigan City. Ah, that's what it's called, Michigan City, on Lake and Michigan. You've been like in Indiana traveling. You've been like at the. You went to like skydiving boogie, and you guys just like hit the road, right? Yeah. So uh, should I should I go into that story? I know we have some listener mail to read 
on the air, but you want to you want to hear about my uh, my off top escaping the fires? Yeah, let's do it. We'll we'll uh, we'll read mail after. Okay, sounds good. So, I was planning on um, doing a uh, trip to the drop zone at. It, it's actually a. It's called a boogie, which is for those that don't know, it's like a skydiving event. Um, I've realized like I've never really attended a boogie for fun as a fun jumper. And so this is my first boogie and you basically just like go and skydive your butt off. And I, you know, this was like a nine day trip for me. I was going to just take our camper. Bree was going to hold down the fort at the state park. Well, we've literally in the week leading up to this, we have been surrounded by fires. So for those that aren't following the news right now, and I don't blame you if you haven't been, there are some crazy uh, forest fires in both the state of California and the state of Colorado. Now, the two that I, that we were between, there's the Pine Gulch Fire and the Grizzly Creek Fire. And the Grizzly Creek Fire, we actually saw it probably 20 or 30 minutes um, after it ignited. It started between I-70, it's a major highway that rolls, I mean, right through the United States. It's like a major artery. Uh, Just cuts right through the Rockies. Totally. So we were driving to the grocery store in Glenwood Springs, and we see this like, I mean, it looked like a cumulonimbus cloud, but very dark on the bottom, like a, like a thunderstorm cloud. And it turns out, I mean, it literally was smoke from a fire. And by the time we got to the store, we were pretty close to it. We couldn't see the flames. It was on the other side of the mountain. But people were outside, like, videoing it, taking pictures of it. I mean, it was definitely a big deal. Um, By the time we left the grocery store, I-70 was closed both ways. And I-70 remained closed for, I believe, a couple of months, actually. It only just recently reopened, which I was surprised they got it inspected and everything properly. So... That was probably 30 miles uh, away from us. And then on the other side, about 20 or 30 miles, was the Pine Gulch Fire, which just recently became the largest fire in Colorado history. Now, the... So the gri- whole state is on fire. It's crazy. It's re- it's pretty bad. And, I mean, the, the smoke has been uh, pretty bad. The ash has been falling like snow. Um, now the Grizzly Creek fire, they don't know how that one started. And it, it, so it's up to 32,400 ish acres. I just looked it up. Uh, most recent containment report, 73% contained. Now the Pine Gulch fire, this large one that was from a lightning strike that started end of July of this year. But, um, they, it's up to, I think 139,000 acres they oh, they're finally getting man. it contained fortunately but this i mean it's not the most destructive fire in colorado there you know it's out in like kind of bureau of land management like open grazing pastures um but i mean just the just the smoke alone was pretty awful and i'm thinking okay I'm going to be leaving Bree here by herself while I just like go like skydive and she's going to be doing the state park duties for the two of us, our volunteer job there. She'll be a volunteer firefighter <laughs> when you get back. <laughs> it's maybe uh, not that far from the truth. Um, so then I think like two days before I was leaving, we were all sitting at one of our neighbor's house and he's a retired police officer and uh, there's like maybe six of us, and we would always have these quote-unquote nature meetings, if you know what I mean. It was usually, um, you know, for them, some cocktails and and just some state park gossip, if you will, but we call them nature meetings. Um, but It's like the safety meeting of the state park. Ex- sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we look across the reservoir there, and we just see emergency vehicles, just like flying by and then I mean like five five emergency vehicles and then 10 and then two fire trucks right and so the retired police officer our neighbor uh, turns on the radio and sure enough at Rifle Falls State Park now this is the state park that we would work at 
two days a week. It's very, very close, maybe four, four or five minute drive from where we were living. A fire broke out at Rifle Falls State Park. So we were... It does not take fire very long to move a four minute drive of distance. Oh, it doesn't. And we actually were, um, you know, thinking about, okay, do we need to pack up and have our travel trailer like ready to move? Um, we didn't. I mean, we can move it pretty quick, but you know, living at a state park for like months, like we've spread out, like we we're not like living on the road. We're like residing in one spot. Right. So, you know, we, we kind of had a couple of things like ready to go, but I mean, that night we assisted with evacuations there. I mean, basically just people that got out of rifle falls, we escorted them to their new spot at rifle gap at like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Everybody's kind of frazzled. Um, everybody was fine. Amazingly enough, they got the fire under control, but it was the next morning when Bri and I, who were, we were planning on staying at that state park for a while after that, we just kind of started discussing it. Like, why don't we both go on this skydiving trip? And then we had some plans to travel in September. What if we just not come back really? I mean, what if we just like leave? It is a volunteer position. Um, and we wish we it's pretty dope. We wish we could have given him a little bit more notice. Because so are you guys done with that job now? Um, we are for now. We are for yeah. now. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's it, it was really a great opportunity, and just like an awesome place uh, to spend the summer. But you know, I don't regret the decision, and it, and it's difficult until you get on the road, and then just when the like smoke clears up and you start breathing clean air again you, your senses kind of come back to you and you're like Ugh, I'm, I'm literally like my headaches stop and we're both on the road together so Bree came to the you know the our our month and a half of traveling around and seeing friends and being on the road literally started with like I made 19 skydives in I don't know four or five days Bree learned how to pack she's like already a better uh packer packer of parachutes than I am so she was killing it. She did a skydive. Byron took her on a tandem, and Mike and Alyssa and I swooped the tandem, I guess is what they call that. Back in the day, the we, vernacular. we called it lurking, but I I don't know. Sport changes and terms change. But, yeah, man, it was a crazy trip. It was awesome. That sounds pretty insane, but, yeah, it sounds like pretty awesome adventure you're on now. We flew in, so we were on vacation in Michigan, and we flew back on Tuesday, and when we flew in to DIA, which is like 50 miles from the mountains, you know, like usually you have a clear line of sight all the way to the mountains. You can see everything. Like it's all obstructed. Just it looks basically like it looked like Mexico City or something like that. The air quality, you know, like it's just like this haze hanging over everything. But now, you know, it's a few days later. It's starting to clear up. We got blue skies here now. I skydived yesterday, so it was kind of the weather was a little questionable, but you know, it, like it didn't really smell like smoke anymore. So they may be getting it under control now. Thank goodness, man. It's been, it's been really bad. And actually for this off top, I did want to throw out there some interesting things I learned about this. Now, if it is as smoky as it was for us recently, you actually do want to avoid doing vigorous exercise outside. So if you have like physical exertion, if you're planning on going for a bike ride, you're going for a hike, um, you should actually keep that to a minimum because it, it can cause irritation to your eyes, nose, throat. Uh, it can actually make people like nauseous. It, you can have issues with your lung function over just like a temporary period of time. I mean, if you have breathing difficulties, like the smoke is bad enough that you might actually want to remove yourself from the situation like we did. I mean, we don't have difficulties breathing, but we had a couple of uh, state park neighbors and I mean, they were planning on leaving later in the season. And, you know, one of the gentlemen had asthma and I mean, he was, I think he was really struggling to breathe and they just got out of there and good thing they did because I-70 was immediately closed Shortly after Ugh. that, and I mean, getting trapped just be so bad. Just getting out of there took you know six hours instead of two hours just to go the long way around. Um, it's just another thing that 2020 is piling on top of the problems with COVID. 
Really? I of mean, course, it's, it's an issue that affects breathing. Right. It is. Uh, it's it's pretty wild. So you know, definitely be safe. I don't think uh, masks that they recommend people wear for COVID do anything for smoke. So, I mean, I think an N95 mask might help, but like the homemade cloth masks that supposedly keep the aerosol droplets that carry coronavirus from spreading in public places, it doesn't do anything for smoke. So I did the look smoke that particle, up. It's so small. It is. Yeah. Well, hey, the good news is one wheel doesn't really seem like physical exertion. So, hey, <laughs> go one wheeling. You'll probably be fine. Well, I unless you break your wrist like I might. <laughs> what do you think about skydiving? Is that physical exertion? I mean, I don't know. It I mean, it's a lot of running around and packing, you know, it's like it's definitely a physical activity, but you know, we we jumped yesterday, we didn't really feel any issues associated with it, you know, like not really short of breath or anything. So that's good. So uh, we got a uh, we got some listener mail, didn't we? We did. Flip six. Yeah, that's three awesome. Hole. Ooh, yeah. What a name! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, you have that. You want to read that? Yeah. Well, speaking of names, what I really liked about this is uh, the nickname Brosh. Ooh, for us. Uh, but it's, I mean, that's the, that could be the next contentologist it, uh, new term that that was coined on the podcast. Rosh, the contentologists. So flip six, three hole wrote man, oh man, you guys, I often describe this podcast at, as what it would look like if my brain split in two, not recommended and started a podcast where the two halves just chatted about the sweet, sweet content I voraciously consume. It's almost creepy how well your topics align with my interests are you guys actually the two halves of my brain? I think you legally have to tell me if you are. I digress. And then he goes on to uh, talk about how we've already covered some things that have found their way into Flip Six Three Holes content circuit. And he even said with 100% certainty that more than one piece that uh, we've covered has played an important role in his life. And he would not be the man I am today without it. So I wrote back... And I had to know what piece of content he was talking about that changed his life so much. But pro- you can kind of ascertain it from context clues. <laughs> this this email is laden with context clues referencing Starship Troopers. Well, that's what he said. So he said, being one half of my tied for first place of all time movies, Starship Troopers has helped provide me with a certain comfortableness with myself after decades of defending its genius to the less imaginative out there. Yes. I would say that's a point one for Josh who covered starship troopers and defended its genius as well. And uh, point one for all the contentologists out there and all the listenerologists. And another point for Brosh for now officially existing (laughs) as I guess a couple emerged brain. I like that. So again, from context clues, uh, I was able to ascertain who this was. This is from our good friend Nick, who has told me in the past that he actually wrote a dissertation, something, some, some deep dive into Starship Troopers in college. So uh, I'm sure he has a lot of thoughts on this content. And also Flip Six Three Hole, for anyone that doesn't remember, that is that is the call that Dizzy makes to. Johnny Rico when they're playing space football and he does the acrobatic front flip twist over over the opposing line to do a touchdown or whatever they call it in the future. And the flip six three hold is essentially what differentiates space football from normal football. You don't see any front flip twists these days on the field. And maybe if the sport evolves far enough, we'll see, we'll see some flip six three holes out there. <laughs> I would like that. I, I you know I'll be honest. I'm not a football guy. But uh, if you could turn that that space football sport and bring it home, I'm down. Yeah, I don't think football is really all that interesting either, but it's really just because there's not enough acrobatic yeah. f- flipping for my taste. I think if you made it co-ed too. Yeah, like maybe Starship we, should, we could get some shower scenes. <laughs> Maybe we should just watch Starship Troopers again. All right, yeah. 
I do watch it about three times a month anyway, so that won't be putting me out at all. Well, thanks, uh, Flip6-3-Hole, for writing into the podcast. And anyone else who wants to uh, write in, let us know your thoughts about the show, definitely contact us. Email us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram at The Content Clearinghouse, and we'll read your letter on the show. So, Brett, anything known in your content circuit, buddy? Um, I've actually been <clears throat> I've been watching this Amazon Prime show. It's called Hannah. Have you seen this mm. at all? No, but I, I feel like I'm already on board if it's Amazon Prime show. You know, it's it's um I don't think it's gonna make its way on the show, but I have been enjoying no. it. It's like a spy thriller, uh little girl kind of trained to be an assassin type deal. I th- I think there was a movie Hannah, but this so this is like kind of stealing from that source material a little bit, but it's kind of a its own spin off, its own thing. But you know, with all the traveling I've been doing, I really haven't had a lot of time for for content, to be honest with you. But I've been enjoying it. Hannah. How about so you? So it's like a half of a recommendation it's, from you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm waiting for uh, two things I'm really excited about The Tenet, or actually, it's just Tenet. Not the tenant, but uh, the boys season two. Oh my god! I think that's in like four days. It is. It comes out really soon. Yeah, actually, by the time this comes out, it might be a day or two out. Yeah, I think so. September. It's Fourth or second, and then uh, tenant is. You know, I I think it is the kind of cinematic experience I am willing to get COVID to watch Christopher <laughs> Nolan. This might be a controversial statement. Tom Cruise didn't get it. He went to saw t- he went and saw Tenet in the theater. He did? So, yeah. Well, just wore his N95 mask and he was fine. He also has superpowers though that we've That's true. You know, carefully avoided discussing on the show. He is inhuman. <laughs> that is certain. How about you? What's on your content circuit? Oh man, I've been consuming some western content lately. While I was on vacation, I actually outlined three big pieces of content that I'll be bringing here soon. So I've been just like voraciously consuming stuff lately, but I've been like on a Western kick. I started playing Red Dead Redemption 2 again, which is a game I played in the past. And it's basically like this this fully immersive Western world. It's like a, like a truly living world. A cool thing about the game, you know, you're like a cowboy and you're running around and you're doing like traditional Western activities but the world exists with or without you in it so like every non-player character npc every animal they all have like their own life and their own path that they're following through the world and it's all systematic so it responds to the things that you do and so it's just like it's just super immersive which is really strange you know i've played a lot of virtual reality and i didn't think that like a flat game that you play on tv could be as immersive as you know what red dead redemption 2 is and it's just this sprawling like 100 hour epic so that's like as i am want to do whenever i'm playing video games i always use them as you know like a lens that i focus all my other media consumption through so last night i watched 310 to yuma with christian bale and russell crowe have you seen that i don't think i have it sounds really familiar 310 to yuma i'm not a big western it's like a guy. remake yeah, i'm not i mean i I'm not typically either, but like playing Red Dead is really making me like, you know, I want to like go and watch and like study the outfits and be like, oh, I could build this character in Red Dead. I can make this gun, you know, in the in the in the gun editor in the game. But then you know, Three Ten to Yuma, it's a it's a remake. I think of like a movie from the '60s or '70s. But you know, it's just like it's like a traditional kind of like. You know, bad guy, good guy, headbutting uh, Christian Bale. You know, he's like trying to get uh, Russell Crowe, you know, to this city to get on this train to go to prison in Yuma. And like his gang is chasing him down. It's just like got all these like awesome Western tropes in it. And one really cool thing about the movie is this was kind of made before like the, the rise of, you know, CGI muzzle blasts, which is like what you see in a lot of like gunfights today. So every like gunshot has like these huge plumes of smoke like blowing out the side of the revolver and shooting out like a ring of smoke like 30 feet in front of the barrel. So it all looks like really visceral and just has like a real kick to it. So I would definitely recommend that if you're even if you're not a western guy, check out 310 to Yuma. 
That sounds awesome. I mean, anything with Christian Bale in it, it's going to be uh, intense. Probably really good. Yeah, he's uh, he's Batman. <laughs> Soon to be Robert Patton- Pattinson. I know. Pattinson. I could totally get behind that, too. Absolutely. Pretty much, like what we talked about earlier, pretty much everything he's done post-Twilight has been totally awesome and so get, and during twilight too depending on who you ask i mean i know you you said that that was your favorite trilogy <laughs> of all time even that even topping star wars <laughs> i did not i did not say that <laughs> you heard it here people oh no that's brett's uh that's next week on the content clearinghouse brett's twilight. going to be reviewing the entire twilight twilight trilogy well i did see a headline that um robert pattinson and Christopher Nolan, because they worked on Tenet together, the Batman was not mentioned. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a weird yeah, headline, but I guess I they just that. both kept their like respectful British distance on broaching that I could totally topic. see that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, uh, sounds good. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get into some content. The Content Clearinghouse is brought to you by Best Maps Ever. They make checklist posters for outdoor adventurers who want to see it all. If you want to visit every national park in the United States, climb every 14er in Colorado, or ski every slope in New England, Best Maps Ever posters are the perfect way to track and inspire your quest. Every map is lovingly designed with icons marking each location so you can stick a pin in the icon or color it in with a marker as you check off the areas you've been to. They offer mounting and framing services for maps that are ready for pinning right out of the box, or if you prefer to mount the map yourself, there are tips on the website to help you with that. They have a slew of maps relating to protected areas and public lands like state parks, national forests, and even more obscure maps like the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. So Josh, one of the maps my wife and I have mounted in our camper is the National Parks map. Now, it's covered in pins because, well, you know, Bree and I get around. And Best Maps Ever makes our gallivanting around the country even more fun because we can put a pin in the map to prove that we've been there and done that. No one could ever cheat that system, Brett. Well, it is on the honor system. Best Maps Ever does not employ any sort of pin-related security system that will come to your house and check and see if you've actually visited the places you've pinned. (gasps) Since you brought it up, I have uh, the skydiving drop zone map hanging up in my office. It's one of the few decorations I have that's not celebrating one of my many athletic achievements. In fact, it's hanging up on the wall right next to my world's most humble man trophy. For all your cartographic needs, visit bestmapsever.com. They've got the best maps ever. Welcome back to the Content Clearinghouse. Josh, I heard you're covering a game today. Is that right? I am. It's been a while since I've covered a game. And I'm excited. I would say that this is in my top one games of all time. This is Top one? Yeah. So what's your favorite game of all time? Is I mean, well, you could say that. you got a that, roundabout way of saying. That's another way you could say <laughs> it. Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking about... Oh, God, it just makes me so excited to even bring it up, Brett. Ghost Recon Wildlands, which is a 2017 game created by the French-based company Ubisoft. So this was the 10th installment in the Ghost Recon series. This is their first open world, and it's a four-player co-op game. So that is... I mean, in in an open world, being able to get in there with your buddies and just like wreak havoc in huge expansive environment is a very big selling point for me in a game but when this thing came out it was met with kind of like average scores it has like a 70 score on a 70 meta score right now and a 6.3 user score which i mean those are like slightly above average but those are pretty low like typically if i see like a 70 on meta score it's the kind of thing that i just kind of pass by initially but this game, you know, that score is criminally underrated. And I think that when the when the game first came out, you know, people were kind of expecting it to be one thing. You know, they were kind of expecting it to fall in line with some of the previous Ghost Recon installments, which are these very intense and specific tactical shooters. Like, 
a lot of times in these games, like in the previous games, you know, like a single bullet would be highly lethal and every move that you had to make would be completely measured against like the risk of being exposed to the enemy. And when this game came out, you know, it wasn't really like that. It played in a little bit more of like a fast paced arcadey fashion. So, you know, it, it kind of fell victim to people's preconceived merit uh, or what they wanted it to be, you know, like a preconceived judgment. And it didn't really exactly apply to how the game was created. And that, that's, I think that's an issue that's pretty common in video games today. Like we talked about The Last of Us 2 a few weeks back and how people wanted it to be one thing. And when the creators wanted to offer a different experience, you know, the, the community lashed out and had an issue and just kind of like gave it poor scores because it wasn't exactly the game that they thought it should be. You know, Josh, that's so, a, actually a good lesson for life too. I think expectation has a lot more to do with someone's happiness than the actual thing that happens to them. And if we can learn to manage our expectations a little bit better, you can actually change your whole perception of the world and your experience. Um, and, you know, once again, video games just, they are real life. They reflect our reality. <laughs> I mean, it's just like that. That's a great, you know, it's great to think about that in the realm of art because, you know, video games are art and that's been hotly debated. But anyone that's played a modern day video game will tell you that video games are, you know, they're amazing collaborative art between these teams of like highly technical programmers and amazing artists. And when you're dealing with a piece of art, you definitely can't go in with your own preconceived notion of what's going to be because the artists have a vision that they want to they want to present to you and i mean it's just kind of an example again of how gamers are kind of entitled little bitches these days so all that said the game is actually amazing it's it plays as a third person over the shoulder tactical shooter so you play with a team of three AI-controlled teammates, and you can give these teammates simple commands like go to a certain position or provide covering fire. You can uh, you can assign targets and have them do a sync shot. So you can assign, like with your binoculars, three different targets. And then when you fire on a fourth target, they'll all shoot at the same time. So you can set up these really cool like crisscrossing paths of fire, like these real tactical situations. But you can also play it, like I said, with four-player cooperative. And... Right from the start, the game drops you deep into the Bolivian jungle. You're at this rebel outpost. It's just the the game map as far as you can see in every direction. You know, it just expands past the horizon. And you're just tasked with kind of the uh, the nebulous goal of dismantling the Santa Blanca drug cartel. So the gameplay loop has you investigating these different areas of the map. You're looking for intel. You learn the locations of certain tactical targets while you're doing this recon. Uh, By taking out enough of these tactical targets, you gain access to the missions that lead you to the Buchones, they call them. They're like the lieutenants of the drug cartel. And if you take out enough of them, you start taking down certain arms of the business, things like cocaine production or security or shipping, things like that. You take down enough arms of 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 the cartel, eventually you open a path to the cartel leader, El Sueño. So... That's kind of you know like is that uh, that's kind of like your Portuguese for the luck. Uh, no, I think it's Puerto? Spanish for the sueño. Okay, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so the minute-to-minute gameplay, you're sneaking around through the jungle. You're reconning targets with all this high-tech gear. You have like spotting scopes, night vision, thermal optics. You have a drone that you can like send up at any time, and your drone is kind of limited by battery and range which you can upgrade and through all this recon you you know you get this view of the battlefield you could track enemies and you mark their patrol routes and then eventually you plan an attack execute it take down these compounds rinse and repeat like it's infinitely replayable so you it really lets you live out all of your like tactical military fantasies because the the building blocks are fairly simple, but you know, the way that you can apply these elements is like, you you basically never run out of ideas. Hmm. Are the, the different characters, um, the AI controlled teammates, 
are they like pretty i don't know uh re- realistic cuz i i know sometimes those npcs can be like walking into walls and you're kind of depending a lot for the, for proper gameplay you're depending on these ai non-playable characters to assist you with these missions are they like pretty pretty accurate yeah i'd say they're almost like inhumanly accurate which mm. is it can be a little bit of a problem a lot of times you know as i got better at the game i was just having them hang back because when you start bringing them in they basically are just like you know like a whirling dervish they just cut through anything in the path so like if you tell them to attack they'll just keep going till every enemy is dead which sometimes you need but typically, you know, like as you get better at the game, you're almost playing it solo and using them like only in dire situations. And then the best part of the game is like playing with friends because then you're, you know, you're like intimately depending upon the skill of the other player that you're with. And, you know, with, you know, two to four people playing co-op, you can only cover so many angles. So you have to be, you know, your your, your skill has to really be there when you start playing with uh with human teammates that's you know it's interesting because i I feel like uh, i don't know i i played a lot of starcraft when i was young and so you i liked directing troops around like that you know real-time strategy god view type of uh of game but then i've also played games like a a couple different zombie games i think that you and i used to play together where you have maybe some NPC teammates. So it's like a co-op with some automated non-playable characters or playable characters if you got some friends with you. But this kind of seems like a combination of the both. Like you are directing them. They're not just like have these automated functions where they sort of stand around and heal you if you, you know, or drop ammo if you need it. Like you're actually strategizing using teammates, but it's also a first-person shooter. I don't think I've ever heard of that kind of combination on a game before. Yeah, it's a well, it's third person shooter, but I mean the concept is the same. And yeah, it's it's a pretty cool. I mean, it's cool. It's a cool feel. The teammates are actually very useful. If you go down, they will come and save you. And if like you and I were playing together and you went down, it would basically be me getting there to save you. And if not, you know, then that would be game over. Mm-hmm. So you do have a huge advantage when you are playing with a computer because of course computer is just, you know, it's, it's a robot. It's programmed to function a certain way and it very rarely, you know, differentiates from that path. Gotcha. So when these, when uh, Ubisoft was creating this game, uh, they visited Bolivia for two weeks to study the environment and the culture. So they included several accurate biomes in the game so they have like jungle, forest, they have lake area, arid, alpine, they have high Andes. The map is uh, 24 by 24 kilometer, which is 576 square kilometers. That's three times larger than the map on GTA 5 for anyone that's played that game, which wow. is, you know, it's a, it's heralded as a gigantic map on GTA 5. So the world you're in just like, it really does just expand in every direction as far as you can see. So at any time when you're on the ground, you definitely feel just like you just feel like you're buried deep in the country, which is a it's it's a very immersive feeling in a game. And I love the way the environments in the world blend realistically together, you know, with each each biome just kind of fades subtly into the next in your typical game, you know, like there's there may be like a hard demarcation line between like you know, the arid area and the snowy area, but everything just seems so naturalistic in this game, the way it works. And when you're like, you're flying it over in a a helicopter and you can see how like the jungle foliage just starts to give way and blend into, you know, just like uh, grasslands or into, you know, like high Alpine country. It It all just looks very real. And it adds to the sense of just like being there and being in this actual place. That sounds pretty cool. It kind of, it kind of. Would you describe that? Uh, you know, I haven't been to Bolivia, but I did just watch one of your Netflix action trilogy movies recently, Triple Frontier, and I feel like it's got grasslands, it's got the alpine environment. Is that kind of how you describe this? Dude, this is like Triple Frontier, the video game. That's sold. 
So the game honestly does not present Bolivia in the most favorable manner. So it really does make it seem like Bolivia there, you know, there are only two types of people. There are these peasants living in hovels and favelas, or there are cartel members. And, you know, it's, it's created that way for gameplay reasons. You know, they want to make it easy to differentiate between enemies and non-enemy characters. But that kind of presentation, it actually caused quite a bit of controversy. They, they effectively pissed off the entire country, or at least the government. So I found this article on theculturetrip.com. Uh, so Carlos Romero, who is Bolivia's interior minister, he lodged an official letter of complaint with the French embassy in La Paz. He uh, he requested intervention, and he reminded uh, he reminded Ubisoft that they had the right to take legal action against against them for false representation. So Ubisoft responded to this controversy by stating that the game is purely a work of fiction. It is in no way intended to represent the reality of life in Bolivia. They claim that they chose the country because of its large variety of stunning natural landscapes, which are clearly on display in the game. And uh, the company did insert a disclaimer recently, though, in a patch stating that the game in no way represented real-life Bolivia. So I knew that that controversy existed. And when I was researching this, I found this other info on uh, worldpoliticsreview.com. So in 2008, the Bolivian president, Evo Morales, expelled the American DEA from the country. And in the years since then, the production and growth of the coca plant has been destigmatized and officially supported by the government. So as by the government, it's supported as a legitimate cash crop for Bolivia. And Morales has been quoted as saying that, to his mind, coca has been misrepresented as a harmful drug, and he's had harsh words for what he considers the egregious acts committed by the U.S. as a result of that misrepresentation. Wow. So it's it's a pretty big deal. Like, I didn't realize how ingrained cocaine was into the very fabric of Bolivia. I just thought it was, like, a cool setting for a game, but... This really, it's kind of made me think that, you know, maybe Ubisoft was onto something with this. Well, you know, if you Google um, Bolivia wealth distribution, it, it is Bolivia. Like, I'm wondering how far, uh, you know, I don't know how fictionalized this game was. It doesn't sound like an extreme work of fiction that sounds just like lawyer talk to avoid a lawsuit, which, you know, is a country going to sue a video game maker that seems crazy but i mean this says wealth inequality is a critical issue for the country of 10 million it's one of the poorest countries in south america 65 percent of the population resides in poverty with nearly 40 percent of the population in extreme poverty i mean that's not painting a great picture and you know i don't know how much of your ghost recon wildlands map is uh in extreme poverty, but I mean, if you have to pick a you know a setting for your game, like I I like when video games aren't uh, fictionalized. You know, it's not some like fake made up country name to avoid like like go for it, man. Like it's Bolivia, god damn it! <laughs> like, I think that's kind of awesome. Well, and, they certainly uh-huh. fictionalized the setting of the follow up to this game. Oh, really? <laughs> We're not fucking around with a new with another <laughs> real place after this controversy well hey in a few years it might be uh ghost recon america land yeah it's <laughs> definitely you could definitely build some gameplay loops off of what's happening in this country right now <laughs> that's, that's true so you know like you know the you said like the uh the wealth distribution and you know is it's a huge gap and that's the way the game presents it. I mean, it really is. There's either peasants in the game or there's the cartel members and I'm sure it's not that cut and dry, but you know, they definitely, they definitely did capture that, which, you know, when you're in the game, you're, you're definitely, you feel for the NPCs because you know, the, the good guys seem oppressed by the cartel in the game. And I found I found some stats like I was looking into it to see like how accurate, you know, their representation of at least like the cocaine trade is in Bolivia. And 
I found that 13 to 23% of all of the cocaine in global circulation originates in Bolivia. Wow. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. So the, like the, the, the fight against drug trafficking in Bolivia was placed almost exclusively in the hands of their internal law enforcement. And that gave President Morales and his government the freedom that they wanted from outside interference. There's actually precedent for that in the game. In the game, there's an enemy unit called uh, Unidad. They're a paramilitary unit, and they kind of function as like a militarized police. And uh, later on, like you'll get in firefights with them, and later on it's revealed that they are, in fact, under the control of the security arm of the cartel. So that... You know the the what's what's apparent corruption based on you know the the president's choice to kick out the American DEA and allow his own internal police force to regulate the you know the control of the coca plant really makes that like that seems like a very real choice by Ubisoft in my mind. Hmm. So do you think Ubisoft's video game designers had a small cocaine budget? built into their travel itinerary or was you know i mean i'm sure they had to just make sure that it smells accurate for the gotta make sure it's not poison (laughs) well i i bet when they were at home their budget was a lot higher than it was when they were in bolivia yeah probably get a lot a lot cheaper there yeah interesting are you familiar with uh with narco states uh, with narco states? No, what is that? Yeah, like the, like the concept. So like a narco state is a country where the drug trade has infiltrated every level oh, of the government. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Right. And like drug money accounts for like the primary form of income generation. You're talking about like so the, Pablo Escobar days. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. So like this term was actually coined to describe Bolivia in the 80s. Oh, no. <laughs> so... <laughs> This is terrible. Oh, man. So, like, the the rep of Bolivia... We're going to get sued by Bolivia, aren't we? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) The rep of Bolivia, it it seemed like it was somewhat rehabbed over the intervening years since the 80s. But, I mean, you know, there's there's debate now over whether modern-day Bolivia is considered a true narco state. But several lower-level government officials have been tied directly to trafficking, even if President Morales has avoided direct ties himself. Hmm. You know, so... The debate, I guess, rages on, but this info kind of makes me lean towards them being, you know, more on the narco state side. It's what it seems like. If the definition is the drug trade infiltrating the government and drug money accounts for the primary form of income, I mean, that's basically exactly the information that I found. But now they're saying- Not a lawyer or anything. Right. (laughs) You're not a Bolivian lawyer. No. So so now, but you're saying though that this is a um, Bolivia has said that the cocoa plant is now like it's legalized, like growing marijuana in the California narco state. You're saying that is very interesting. Pretty much, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Huh. It. That's why I love this show, man. <laughs> like I, I've I've loved this game for several years now, and like. This stuff it never even occurred to me to look into this, and as soon as it just just like a a modicum of of research, I find all this deep, fascinating information about Bolivia, which I don't know to me is it's very interesting. Well, I, I've heard it's a very beautiful country, right? Like I remember you talking about this game before, and some of the sites that are in Bolivia that they represent in the game that you know are not uh, not not things that are going to get us uh, in trouble with uh, president Morales. <laughs> Let's say some nice things. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure he's still in power. Um, so actually, yeah, the, the game is very representative, like the natural landscape there. So there are some cool sites. I did take note of some of these. Uh, there's something called Lacuna, Colorado or Laguna, Colorado. It's a, uh, it's, it's like a shallow, rust colored lake it's uh it's a flamingo preserve and in the game you know it's represented as like this it's like almost looks like a crater and it has you know this very shallow brown water like it's shallow enough you can drive a vehicle out into it and as you drive out or fly out over it like the flamingos will take off from the water and fly alongside you oh wow and i've seen i've seen photos of this place i never knew where it was until playing this game actually there's a I don't know if you've used an Apple TV recently, 
But on our Apple TV, we had, there's like this screensaver with all these amazing photos that pop up. And one of them is Laguna, Colorado. And mm. seeing it in the game, you're just like, oh my God, this is a real place, you know? So they really, they really went all out and did their research and made the world as realistic as possible. And is that how Colorado got its name? We're named after Laguna, Colorado. Yep. Yeah. Deep cocaine ties here. <laughs> yeah. So there's also uh, a big portion of the game is salt flats. And in Bolivia, there's the Uyuni salt flats where 50 to 70% of the world's lithium production comes from, oh. which, you know, you and I love that so much because of those sweet, sweet one wheel batteries that run off of lithium. Oh, I thought you were going to say, uh, isn't lithium uh, used as a psychoactive drug for people with bipolar disorder? Is it the I same? Guess, but you can also make batteries out of it. Yeah. Bring me those. Bring me that lithium, baby. Give me those sweet, <laughs> sweet batteries. Drone batteries, too. Lithium, man. Real awesome product. Yeah. I'm sure that the salt flats are taking a real beating, though, with it being mined for us. Uh, yeah. Yep. And also, you know what? Have you heard of the the Yungus Death Road? The Yungus Road. I mean, it's it's called the Death Road. I have heard you mention this, but I remind me, um, how many deaths are there? Why is it so deadly? <laughs> A shitload. <laughs> so this is a 69-kilometer-long one-way, I guess you call it a highway, if you can hear the finger quotes. <laughs> yeah. But it's estimated that 200 to 300 drivers were killed yearly along the Yungus Death Road as late as 1994. There were cars falling over the edge at a rate of one to two every every week. Oh, my gosh. So, it, <laughs> it's, so actually, it's not funny. It's kind of crazy that this would be the kind of place that humans would traffic. But, I mean, I guess in the jungle, you don't have a whole lot of choice. But, I mean, one of Bolivia's most tragic road accidents happened here uh, on July 24th, 1983, when an overcrowded bus veered off the side of the road into a canyon, killing more than 100 passengers. It is, like, highly tragic. And I think now the Yungus Road has actually been shut down. But for, I mean, for the longest time, it seemed like if you needed to get through that stretch of jungle, it was the only option. And I've seen pictures of cars, like caravans of cars that are nose to nose with each other. And, you know, it's like traffic coming from other, from both directions, no regulation, basically. If you start coming from one direction and there's another car coming from the other direction, eventually you're going to meet and there's really nothing you can do. So that's it's why, not you know, really a lot of wide these accidents are happening for two it's cars. One lane. Oh my gosh, that doesn't make any sense. It's insane, dude. Oh man. I mean, I don't, I don't know the the full history of it, but I would assume that it probably started as like, you know, like a a livestock trail or something, and just evolved into, you know, from footpath to vehicle path. Wow. And it's, I mean, it's pretty insane that it's a location that's present in the game as well. Well, I feel a little bit terrible about complaining about driving around the I-70 closure and it adding like four hours to my trip. First world problems, man. It, it's very true. Absolutely. Younger, the Younger Road? Say it again? Yeah, Youngest Road. Youngest Road. Man, that sounds yeah. absolutely wild. I can't tell if it, it sounds like a great place to take the one wheel or a terrible place to take the one wheel. <laughs> Well, I think it's shut down now, so you might be able to get in there. Yeah. All right, so let's get back to talking about the game a little bit because I do want to talk about some of like the the gameplay elements that I like, and I want to tell you about some experience I've had why this game is so awesome, important to me. So, like the greatest strength of the game to me is the emergent gameplay, and these the best of these sandbox games allow you to make your own story, and you can literally live inside the world. And one of the cool things like a lot of these games offer is like a character creator. And this game has an extensive character creator that you can truly recreate the look and feel of all these iconic teams and characters that you've seen from movies. You know, it's like what I talked about earlier with Red Dead Redemption. When I'm playing a game, I'm always just like consuming other media to try to find, you know, references for, you know, like what Delta Force's gear looks like or, you know, what the SEALs or the pararescue men. And it's movies like Triple Frontier and Extraction and Black Hawk Down. All those are like, you know, they're they're all references that when I was playing this game for two years, I probably watched 500 movies and read like 
20 or 30 books about the military, just like researching ideas, things that I could plug into the game. One of the, one of the coolest things that, that I've read about, and it's a technique that applied directly to the game was, it was a book called, uh, the Reaper, which is about Nicholas Irving. He's a, a, a ranger sniper in Iraq and he's, you know, he's writing all these crazy sniping stories. And one of them was, he was in a, he was in a gun battle and he was on top of a building shooting down into like a battle zone and his rifle was not zeroed properly. So he just walked to the other side of the building where there's no fighting going on. He took aim at a, you know, target that was out at like 400 meters. He zeroed his rifle to the new distance of where the battle was taking place. And then once he was zeroed in, he walked to the other side of the building and just started taking out enemy combatants. And that's something that it never occurred to me that you could just re-zero a rifle in the middle of a battle. But when I read that, I went, you know, started playing Ghost Recon and did that exact same technique because you can zero your rifle using your binoculars and you can get like a range distance and then you can see how far your bullet's going to drop. And I use that technique like extensively now after reading about it. So it's cool that like these tactical ideas from the real world actually apply to the game. You know, like the game is balanced well enough that you can actually do things like that. That's uh, fascinating enough that I want to ask you, has that ever happened with skydiving? Have you ever played a skydiving or base jumping or canopy flying video game and, and applied real life strategy to, to the video game virtual world? Uh, I mean, actually, yeah. We just haven't found so, a, a realistic enough skydiving game? No, I mean, most of like what you get with skydiving in video games is, you know, like canopy flying. And yeah. when you're flying a canopy, you do have like an angle of attack. And since you're basically in a glider, you can't go back up. A lot of what you're doing is you know, you're reading the angle of attack and you're finding the point on the ground that's not moving as you're flying forward. And that's typically like where you would land if you just flew straight in and didn't make any corrections. And that's something that you can you can totally do in every video game that involves a parachute. I mean, we use it in Ghost Recon. You have a parachute in Ghost Recon or like Call of Duty. It It's a way that you can accurately predict where the parachute is going to land in video games because they're all operating on the same principle of an angle of attack. You know, it could be, you know, 10 degrees, 45 degrees, whatever angle that parachute's flying at. And so that's something that I've definitely used in video games from skydiving. You look at a point on the ground that's not moving and you know, like, that's where I'm going to land if I don't make any adjustments. This is what I love about you, man. You are literally helping real life activities enhance your video game experience that is a true contentologist that's got my (laughs) certified diploma from this podcast so i want to talk about probably the most probably the, the deepest experience i've had with this game is something called ghost mode and ghost mode is it's a high difficulty game mode where if you lose your character, it's gone forever. It's permadeath. You lose all the experience that you put into that character. And you're building these characters up the, over the course of hundreds of hours. There's skill trees that you're unlocking. And it, it basically puts like these very high stakes on gameplay where typically you would just respawn and you would be you'd be back even if you died. So I played Ghost Mode with my buddy Jess, who we talked about last week on the uh life pilot episode yeah he and i have been playing games for for years and you know we saw this ghost mode as like this very high level challenge that we didn't really even think that it was possible because typically when we'd be playing co-op we would just be getting you know we would just kind of run in and you get gunned down whatever you just respawn you're 100 meters away from the line of battle you run back in and you keep playing so as we you know we started playing in regular mode and we were just really thinking about like upping our skill level and trying to increase our survivability. So once we kind of felt like we had trained enough, you know, we probably played a hundred hours of just training because we're playing this game every single day. We decided, okay, we're gonna try ghost mode. So we start brand new characters. The first attempt, our characters are probably dead within like two hours of playing. So we realized 
that we couldn't really just take the the same approach that we would play, you know, a respawn mode in. So we put a lot of mental scenario planning and really take into account the frailty of your character. You know, it's like two or three shots you're down. If your teammate doesn't get to you and respawn you, it's game over. So our priorities in ghost mode became the first was always to survive. So that meant like breaking contact with the enemy, then that's what you did. And then your second priority was always to rescue your teammates. And then the third priority was to complete the mission of the game. So we had been playing for maybe, you know, 60 hours on our ghost mode characters. And uh, we, we were reconning this base and Jess was like, I'm going to get fancy on this. And so he's like, I'm going to run up behind this guy. I'm going to knife him in the back. And then I'm going to turn, I'm going to shoot his buddy. And I, I said like, I don't think this is a very good idea. This seems like, seems really risky with our ghost mode characters. And he's like, I think it's a good idea. And he runs up and like immediately his character gets like hooked on geometry. The enemies turn around, they just mow him down and just like blink. His ghost mode character is gone. And as soon as that happened, the entire base that we had been reconning goes into high alert and they start hunting me. So I just ran and hid in like the nearest structure. And the, the only reason I survived, saved my character was because when your teammate dies, your AI teammates spawn back in. So my hiding spot is starting to get surrounded by enemies. And, you know, it's like basically like I could feel like hair in my back of my neck start to stand up. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to lose the last 60 hours of gameplay. So I just put my teammates all on full assault and they just mow everyone down. And I just ran and got in a helicopter, flew away. <laughs> but it was like, it was, I mean, I know it's just a stupid video game, but I had like almost like this survivor's guilt. With oh my gosh. What happened? Because it was just like, there was nothing that I could do. And I just knew that, you know, all the work that he had put in on that gameplay was just gone. Yeah. And it's just such a tragedy but it makes such a cool story because you don't get experiences like that in video games very often. You don't. The stakes just usually aren't that high. This definitely seems as close as you can get to the consequences of real life in a video game. Which we are in no way saying this actually is. We we do understand that, <laughs> but yes. I'm going to get you some lithium. Yeah, whew. Help Getting a little nervous here, Brett. But this, like this incident, did change the way we played it. So we developed a veto system where, at any time, one person or the other could veto any decision, and it would basically call off the entire assault. So ah, career resource management is what we call that in the aviation biz. I mean, it's 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 again, it's like a, a real life technique and skill being drawn into the video game, and like those things exist in real life because in real life you only have one chance. And so, you know, a lot of these techniques that I'm sure people that are actually trained in these high risk, you know, occupations, this all seems like basic stuff to them. But that was a system that we incorporated immediately after that. Hmm. And uh, we started, you know, I started doing research. I found these SAM site maps, which is like the surface to air maps. We did a lot of travel by helicopter. So I found this map on Reddit. It's the best way to travel. Actually, take it from me. I mean, it's pretty much the only way in this game. So we, uh, I found these maps that would give you like these, these like engagement envelopes overlaid on the game map. And so we would use that when we're flying helicopters. One of us would have that pulled up on our phone and we'd be guiding the other person through like these, these safe alleys of travel with the helicopter. And then we came up with, oh, you say something? Uh, well, I, I was going to ask if you beat the game on ghost mode. Oh, I'm getting there, buddy. Okay. <laughs> I figured you would. That's why I stopped myself. So uh, the we came up with one other technique, which we called kill housing. And we would, when we'd come up to like a difficult mission, we would close our ghost mode game, open it up in regular mode where you have respawns available. And we would run through the mission like five or six times until we had developed like a path that we wanted to move through the through the you know, the engagement area, we would kind of like mark enemy locations and just get like, you know, like, a, like a pattern down. So when we go into our ghost mode games, we could just burn through that level as fast as possible. And again, this is something there's actual precedent for in the real life. Uh, like the bin Laden raid, they built 
a compound that was similar to what they had read, what they had been able to recon from like satellite photos of his compound. And they practiced assaulting it, you know, from the ground and from the air. Uh, there was an Ir Iranian embassy assault by the SAS in 1980. This is a, this was an event that was chronicled in the movie Six Days, and they did something very similar. They built a mock-up Iranian embassy, and the SAS practiced assaulting it over and over and over, learned the entire layout because they had the blueprints of the building. And so, you know, we took that idea and applied it to the game, and using things like that, we were able to finally beat Ghost Mode. Woo! Nice, buddy! <sighs> Did so you get got, like a trophy or something for your uh Brett. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the greatest reward in video game history. Now that I can so see you, you on Skype, I, I can literally see like the world record photographs that you were on behind you, but I, I Oh no, this is better than that. This wow. is much better than any real world accomplishment. <laughs> so when you beat ghost mode, yeah. The president of Ubisoft comes on the screen and he delivers a personal message for anyone who completes the game. So this guy, Yves Guillemot, he comes on. He's like, uh -huh, you have done what very few players have ever done. Are you serious? I don't know. Yeah, he's not. He's not quite that French, but <laughs> <laughs> he's like, you have amazing skill. And it's just, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in a video game. And, very few video game endings would have me talking about them like a year and a half later. But I had to go on, like when I was researching this, I had to go on and get on YouTube and actually make sure that that was a real thing that I hadn't just like had like a fever dream and imagined that after 60 old, hours like, straight of gameplay. <laughs> yeah. Like this old stodgy guy that looks like, you know, he's never held an Xbox controller in his life is like coming on and congratulating you for your gameplay ability. So lucky, luckily for you guys, I found a YouTube link. So we'll link that in the show notes so you guys can all watch. Yves Guillemot, congratulate a ghost mode winner. Oh, nice. I'm definitely going to be looking closely <laughs> at his nose to see if there's a little bit of white powder Woo! around his nose. That's a cocaine joke. Oh, I get yeah. it. I thought you talking about lithium. Oh. <laughs> Didn't know that's how you take it. Well, I'm just assuming. <laughs> So, Brett. Yeah. Ghost Recon Wildlands. It's one of my favorite games. It's really like the most Josh game that has ever existed. Scratches every itch and empowerment fantasy that I play video games for. And it still holds up like even three years after it was released. They've updated it. You know, the, the game has constantly evolved. So, the gameplay is like finely tuned. Graphics are amazing. Everything just feels right. And the best thing is you could probably get a copy of this game right now for like $5 because it's so old. So Is that in it, like, Bolivian uh, currency? You can get it for uh, one one thousandth of a kilo. <laughs> and now you know. So get the game. Yeah. Ghost yeah, if you guys get it on Xbox One, hit me up. Maybe we can play together sometime. Well, that sounds awesome. Thanks, Josh. That is an incredible breakdown both of um, just a just a good time playing video games and of the social unrest and wealth inequality of a South American country. So I think we covered a lot there. Bolivia, don't sue us. We <laughs> <laughs> we don't have anything. What are you gonna do? You take our one wheels. Take our one wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thanks, Josh, and uh, thank you to the listeners out there listening away. I hope that this inspires you to play some awesome video games. Um, we are going to be back next week. We might talk about uh, some of our favorite books, podcasts, TV shows, or even maybe some more video games. You know how the show works. So feel free to hit us up on social media or our website. And thanks again for listening.